Why don't you take your glasses off so we can see you? And then apologise to your neighbours for frightening them. No, 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 no. I'll leave these on. No, I like them. Weird. Australia.
Stu Buchanan on New Year Australia. Joined in the studio tonight by Ian Rogers, who is uh, records under the name of Ambrose Chapel and is also part of uh, the No Anchor uh, trio, and uh, is down here on some uh, some funny business, which he'll uh, tell you about in due course. Um, now we started the show with a track uh, from Ian's Ambrose Chapel project called uh, Undead, and. Uh, I'll just bring him into the conversation now. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Good. Um, uh, thanks for coming uh, in, and uh, we're going to have uh, a bit of a chat in a second. But um, before we do, uh, let's take something uh, from uh, the, the track we just heard. There was actually from the the New Red Australia comp that that uh, you co-curated, uh, Bleak Metal, mm-hmm. last year. <laughs> yes, controversially titled, <laughs> indeed. And uh, but there's also uh, a no anchor track on there, Dead Pony. Um, which I thought we would uh, we would play right now to give another sense of, I guess, the other side of, of what it is that you do. Sure. And, and this track comes from the most recent No Anchor album. It does, yes. Yeah. Uh, Real Pain, Supernova. All right, cool. All right, we'll have a chat after this, but this is uh, no, An- uh, uh, no Anchor and Dead Pony. Yeah. 
No Anchor on uh, New Wear Australia and Dead Pony. Uh, taken from uh, the most recent album, uh, Real Pain Supernova. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, before that, uh, as I say, we were uh, hearing something from Ambrose Chapel. Both tracks taken from New Wear Australia's Bleak Metal compilation. Uh, you can get that as a free download. came out uh, about six months ago or so. Get it as a free download from newwearaustralia.com. Playing both of those because we're joined in the studio by Ian Rogers um, from uh, from both projects. Uh, Ian, thanks very much for coming down and joining us. But um, you're not here for us. And, uh, you know, I, I don't take that personally. But um, you're here actually on a uh, academic research project. Yes, um, that's right. Tell, tell us a little bit about that and, and why you're here. Uh, yeah, I'm down here on behalf of Griffith University from Brisbane. Uh, we are doing... I'm an academic by trade. As you, I mean, uh, it seems obvious to me when I listen to Dead Abs- Pony by Absolutely. No Anchor. Most that, lecturers do that yeah. on an evening. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. you know, if you've ever actually taught in a classroom, you sort of have to have something like that happening. Most people <laughs> turn to alcohol, but I have, you know... Turn to noise instead. Yeah, I have yeah. that. Yeah. That's my outlet. Uh, yes, I'm down here on the behalf of uh, Griffith University. I am a popular music studies academic, so I am studying... My job is to study popular music culture and that's what I'm doing. I've been travelling around Australia talking to people about popular music and memory. What a hard job. Yeah, I know. It's great. It's the best job I've ever had, to be honest. <laughs> so this particular project you mentioned, there, popular music and memories. So mm-hmm. um, what was the sort of genesis and thinking behind the project? Uh, it's actually not my project. I'm the research lackey. So uh, The whipping boy. Yeah, it, it's actually an international project that sort of has tentacles that go out to Europe and parts of uh, America, the Americas, sorry. Uh, and it, I believe that it would... Uh, there's a real particular interest in academia about how a heritage and music uh, culture, like how what people, how people understand culture and how uh, policy and governance and things like that can preserve it or you know, what to preserve and how to formulate policy that sort of uh, looks at those issues. Yeah, right. It, I guess it is interesting because like that sort of cult of um, the kind of, if you like, music documentary, uh, m- moving even from television into kind of cinema documentaries about music, the explosive kind of growth in, in uh, non-fiction music uh, publishing, um, you know, the long-form music article and so on, which in, all of it is sort of is, as a counter movement to, um, you know, what's happening in online and blogs and so on. I mean, it definitely feels like there is a, a, a massive upsurge in the way that music's been documented from mm-hmm. that particular period that wasn't necessarily so even 10 years ago, right? Yeah, that's right. It's it's very popular. Like, it's, you know, we all of a sudden really love, uh, you know, two DVD, two DVD box set documentaries. And, uh, and oh, I suppose we've always liked that stuff, but we live in an age now where that is, uh, is much easier to get a hold of. We also live in an age where time like music history is compacted somewhat so it's the audience for say a rolling stones documentary is uh it's really different like now that may be a teenager right through to someone who saw the stones in their heyday so uh yeah it's a big issue and it also a really interesting one for people like myself because uh they're quite complicated things you know really they're they're writing histories and that's always a contested uh, you know, war zone. That's what I say. Yeah, because because in some respects, um, you know, when you get to a certain age, let's say, you know, a, um, sort of where you've lived through the music 
uh, as it happened uh, and you're enjoying it as an audience con- contemporaneously to then get older and see it reflected back again and looking at it saying that's not how I remember it or, yeah. <laughs> or, or you know or listening to Talking Heads saying you know uh, the band did this the band did this and you're like no nah, that's not that's that's not it I mean is there a danger that in this increasing kind of documentation that, that, that actually new histories evolve that are not necessarily not it, not disrespectful, but but are not necessarily you know as truthful as perhaps they could be. Yeah, that's well. That's uh, there's like probably two things I'd say. That one is that you know we're having uh, music documentaries now that are increasingly problematic because the bands uh, they're such a revenue owner mm. that you know the bands are producing them themselves. So mm. you know the Pearl Jam documentary recently right. uh, is a great example of that. It's just rubbish it actually doesn't give you a history of the band it just is a promo vehicle and Pearl Jam are in it therefore yeah it's rubbish yeah 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 Yeah, there's that and the music Uh, uh, the other thing is that uh, academia is completely implicated in all this stuff I mean the the birthplace of my discipline is 1977 punk rock Uh, like with sociologists who had no understanding of the music trying to understand why people were dressed the way they were the famously the uh, early cultural studies people saw punks while they were riding the bus to work and wondered, you know, why, you know, why are people Who doing? Are this? these people? And we've made terrible mistakes in the last thirty to forty years of trying to understand and document music history. But I also think that uh, a lot of the times we are, in the, that's the only respect in that where we're 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 quite good at contributing to that dialogue when we're a little bit behind a lot of the time, like maybe five to ten years <laughs> behind, but we're actually very methodical and and have a like quite a few theoretical sort of strategies to deal mm. with it that I think saves us from uh I don't know, the marketplace a little bit. Mm. You know, saves us from having to have Pearl Jam as the producer to, you know, yeah. Yeah. muck everything up. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I mean in some respects, it is the the growth of things like that that are responsible for uh, bringing some bands back into the into popular consciousness, you know, or, or 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 even in a sort of even in an alternative sphere, bands who hitherto would have otherwise just disappeared or been the kind of purview of of a very small clique of people that remember them. So, mm. in some respects, it is reawakening interest in bands that hitherto might have disappeared. Yeah, absolutely. Like a. I'm really especially interested in quasi-academic work too. I mean, you look at the history of music publishing and you know, there's, it's a real heady mix of journalists, academics and uh, fans who write. You know, and some of the, you actually look at the history of, uh, of music publishing and there have been books that are like, you know, wildly influential. Like I'm thinking of like maybe Julian Cope's work yeah. on yeah. Japanese I, Garage. Yeah. and The Krautrock one they did, the Krautrock Sampler, which is now out of print. And, yep. you know, yeah. Yeah, like just, uh, and I mean, I personally just learned a lot, you know, I feel like I learned half of what I, I was such a nerd as a kid, you know, that I learned half of what I know about music from reading this sort of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But you made a good point there that that, that actually some of those, um, some of the ones, whether it's Julian Cope or Simon Reynolds or people who clearly have have a real kind of driving kind of passion and a very wild style and a very kind of dismissive and unrespectful in some cases, you know, very respectful and disrespectful at the same time are actually the books that are more interesting to read. Yes. You know, that you feel, not that they're deviating from history, but that they're taking a very uh, personal squint at it as opposed to trying to be all things to all people. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and that's the sort of work that uh, that really only belongs on the fringes of what I do, which, uh, you know, my the books that are in my discipline are, like, actually quite rigorous and 
for want of another word, boring to like a popular readership. But uh, the data or, you know, the, the stuff that's actually in them is really is really valuable. And I've found that over time, you know, that eventually kind of finds its way out into more uh, readable mainstream sort mm. of, you know, publications and media. Before we play some more music, um, I guess just a, an, an observation, which isn't to do with documentaries as such, but it's to do with the kind of music, uh, sort of museum exhibition kind of side of things, which is in that kind of similar context as um, the, uh, there's an exhibition recently in Sydney at the Powerhouse Museum called This Is the 80s. Um, and it was extraordinary to see what was then at the time, um, you know, very underground kind of radical whether it's zine culture party culture illegal warehouse parties and so on put into a museum Mm -hmm. and and (laughs) and have flat you know flyers that we would ordinarily just walk out into the local pub or or the record store and pick them up as pieces of you know photocopied piece of paper put under glass you know posters and framed and so on and 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 rarefied in a sense um and whilst on one hand it was interesting to see that ephemera at the same time it felt like a complete disjunct (laughs) this was this was should this stuff be in a museum you know do you have do you have a sort of Uh, any sort of thoughts on that sort of thing i do actually probably unpopular ones uh (laughs) i look i you know this is my job and i'm i take it very seriously well as seriously as i should you know and uh is you know i you know, the holdings for this sort of work are like, you go to a archive, say, for the State Library or something like that, and you say, oh, show me the music archives. And they're just embarrassing a lot of the times. You know, they're so... Uh, they don't reflect the music culture that you've had, you know, in, even in your own lifetime. So, you know, one of my personal crusades is that if you're sitting on a, a bunch of stuff, like, you know, even if it's just a bunch of flyers for, like, 40 years of flyers or gig flyers or ticket yeah. stubs or something like that, please bequeath it to your state library or to an institution or something yeah. like that because uh, sooner or later someone's going to have to write, is going to probably want to write a history of, yeah. you know, and it's it's really valuable sort of stuff. You can't go past actually looking at the original items. Plus, you know, that's how people like me sadly get their jollies is going to, like, <laughs> archives and libraries and looking at fly, yeah, punk rock flyers from 1982 and going, oh, wow. Look at the rip on that corner. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we'll, we'll talk more in a minute, but um, uh, as you mentioned, your uh, your other life, or one of your other lives, is as part of uh, Brisbane's uh, No Anchor. We'll talk about that in a minute, but we've actually got something uh, uh, exciting to play because you just brought out a brand new 7-inch. Yes. Um, and we're actually going to hear both tracks now back to back. What's the genesis quickly behind behind this? Uh, we put out the album last year and uh, we like to work quite quickly. And we had a, for some reason, uh, I don't know if you're unfamiliar with the album, there's a lot of long material on it. There's a whole side of one of the double albums. There's like one song and things like that. Mm. And because we can be a bit precocious maybe or contrary, uh, the songs that came out of the writing cycle after the album were all short. <laughs> and as soon as you know, you know we all love seven inches and singles we haven't put one out before as soon as we got an inkling that maybe we had shorter material that would go on a seven inch we yeah we uh we recorded it we went in the studio and just did it all in one night and uh yeah we're pretty happy with it i'm pretty happy with it so all right well it's here it's two tracks back to back from the current no anchor seven inch Yes! 
Well, they were pretty short. <laughs> yeah. That was two, right? Yeah, yeah, that's two. Yeah. Was that the probably the most meat-headed thing you've ever played on? Oh. Is that the worst thing that anyone's ever done on the radio? <laughs> no, but I've, I've, yeah. I've, I've done far worse, believe me. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, not the most meat-headed thing. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Depends, <laughs> maybe. Depends how we define meat-headed, I yeah. suppose. Um, so that's... Uh, no, Anka, tell me, how did the... Um, how did the album go in the end? I mean, were you sort of happy with... I mean, because it, from a distance watching how that album was released, it was clearly a labour of love in, mm. insofar as, you know, you had uh, Lawrence English, am I right, in terms of mastering it for vinyl? And, uh, and was it? No, uh, we had yeah. a... There's two different versions for right, us. We're right. big Boris fans from oh, Japan, right, so yes. there's uh, a bit of that fetishism involved. Yes. Uh, um, a lady called Mel Detmer who worked on Boris and she actually recorded Alter by Sun and Boris. Uh, right, right. She mastered it. Uh, strangely, you know, it's funny what you can do with the internet. You just look people up and email them and they say, yeah, we'll do it. Uh, and she did the vinyl version, which, uh, and then Lawrence English did the digital version, right. which is slightly different. Like yeah. it has different segs and yeah. a different track order. And but you did yeah. the whole kind of um, like you know um, go through Bandcamp and you know get the T-shirt and this and that and and the next thing with a kind of deluxe edition and so on. Um, so clearly, there's a kind of lot of love in it. In terms of the washout, you know, we're now kind of uh, I don't know what nine months down, down mm -hmm. the track. Are you sort of happy with? how that was received and how it went and so on and so forth. Oh, very. Like, uh, I mean, the band's uh, a bit of a compromise at all times because of the personalities in the band and I am not actually a vital fetishist at all. Right. Uh, that was something that the other two, Donnie and Alex, uh, were really invested in. They really wanted to do it and I'm like, well, if you really want to do it, <clears throat> I will give you the two and a half, well, I will let the band pay the money yeah. to make it happen. Uh and they were completely right. You know, the, yeah. the first uh, pressing of 150 double LPs sold out like very quickly. And we're in the second pressing now and we have about 40 copies of it left. Wow. Okay. So I'm really happy with that. In return, I uh, got to do almost whatever I wanted and one of the other guys in the band wanted with uh, the digital release. Right. Uh, and it saw, so it's been available for free the whole time. Uh, it's available for free... Also in the US through a label called Grindcore Karaoke, run by uh, Jay Randall from Agrophobic Nosebleed, a big band in that scene. And he has been doing a ridiculous job on it. He's downloaded right. over 6,000 copies of it. Wow. So Fantastic. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, people are paying attention to what he's doing with that. So yeah. it's a good label too if you like Grindcore. So, so does that then, um, you know, the fact then that this kind of 6,000 downloads most likely in North America or at least you know a large percentage of those in North America does that then uh, suggest that you might try and you know do some touring over there for example or is it just too hard it's just uh, we're not really built for it as a band like we've yeah. toured recently in Australia uh, but yeah just not uh, we're not actually the, the truth is we're pro just disinterested really right. uh, that's fair enough I mean you know yeah well, we've all been. I've been in a band that's toured internationally. A couple of bands have toured internationally, and I have. I'm not fond of it. You know, I actually question whether it works. It's usually a holiday, and I like to go on holidays with my girlfriend, not like two other guys who are playing in a heavy metal band with. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I've heard the stories of your international <laughs> tours, and I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, they're not. Uh, you know, they're all. They've all been wonderful experiences in their own way. But uh, it was, actually when we started the band, it was something that I sort of said, look. You know what? I'm not going to tour a lot. I'll go on. I'll do it if it's a special thing and we yeah. have the money. Oh, also the band's 100% self-sustaining. So, yeah. you know, the day we have 
$12,000 to go to the US and tour. We might have the discussion then, but, yeah. you know, we've had offers, but, uh, to, for Europe, but, uh, again, it's not, nothing serious. So, um, so what's next? I mean, the seven inches is out and, uh, oh, it's coming out. It's out yeah. March 17th. Right. So that was a bit of a, bit of a scoop. Exclusive preview. <laughs> Well, we don't get many of those in your industry. Um, good. Okay, so that's next. And then what, after sort of take a break, back into it? Uh, we're writing at the moment. Oh. And uh, that I reckon we're about a little bit over halfway through the writing process. Right. So, and it's sounding interesting. It's sounding very... Uh, uh, we all love 90s stoner metal. And, uh, you know, obviously it's going to be no anchor, so it's going to be sort of tied into noise and, and drone and doom as well. But... We're trying to. I feel like that's really coming out on the next, the, right. you know, seventies occult metal we all love. So it seems to be a bit happier, maybe a bit more upbeat, maybe not quite just so <laughs> oppressive. You know, I don't know though. You know, I say Who that knows? I probably thought that. I think yeah. I told someone that the last record was a seventies metal party album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, look, the other side of your, um, the other side of your repertoire is uh, Ambrose Chapel. So I think what we'll do is actually maybe play. Um, an, an Ambrose Chapel track, uh, and then we'll have a chat about that afterwards. Now, this is another uh, another new track. Yeah, another that's right. Sort of exclusive. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what's the story behind this one? It's um, uh, this is something I put together for a compilation album that's coming out on Feral Media and Lo Fi, uh, 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 which is a label from Brisbane and a label from Sydney, right? That's Feral. right. Yeah. Uh, where you submit a track and the stems for the track and then someone else remixes it and you remix someone else. So I'm not sure when it's coming out, to be honest, which sounds a bit like I'm the worst spokesperson ever for the for the project. <laughs> but uh, my track is finished and I'm working on someone else's at the moment. So Now, can you say who you're remixing? Because I think this is interesting. Uh, is it... Command, well, optim, optim, option command, option command. So for people, yes. you know, so for regular listeners of the show, you'll know um, uh, Broken Chip, um, you know, beautiful electronica from uh, Martin Palmer in, in the Blue Mountains. Most recently, going to the Option Command moniker, getting into more of a kind of beats territory and so on. I find the fact that you as Ambrose <laughs> Chapel remixing that is fascinating. If you haven't heard Ambrose Chapel, you're about to hear it now. So imagine this remixing uh, kind of hip hop and beats, and uh, you'll see what it is that we're looking forward to.
That's Ambrose Chapel and an unreleased track called A Small Return to Big Nothing uh, from uh, perhaps from a forthcoming compilation. <laughs> we don't know if the original version is going to be on there. P- 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 perhaps not. So they are a little bit of uh, another, another little exclusive for you here on, on New Year Australia. Um, the Ambrose Chapel Project, um, what's what's next for that in, in, in that regard, this, this particular project aside? Um, finally, uh, getting around to making an album. Or maybe a couple of albums. Like sort of right. over the years I've been working on stuff. I've never actually released an EP or anything, just individual tracks. Uh, so over the years stuff has sort of started to build up and yeah, I'm, I'm finally getting to the point where I was happy with it. I know a lot of sort of sound art people and noise people, so I was really conscious of the fact of trying not to just put something out there until I was actually kind of confident that it was something I was. I thought it had some sort of original contribution to it. Right. So, so it could be a kind of dual album release sort of thing. Or? Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm not lazy. I'm just very. Uh, I try to make the the project as unintrusive on my life as possible. Uh, you can probably tell that that's actually a bit of a theme running through all my <laughs> my bands of late. Uh, so that yeah, that I actually I'm not sure if I would manufacture stuff with that. I don't know. Yeah. I think I really like digital. You know, I, I actually think it's you know it's great. It's interesting because um, there's there's definitely that sense from uh, from some artists, and I know from myself as well, that uh, you know we I- enjoy the artifact, and you know, and whether it's vinyl or cassette or CD. Um, but from a label's perspective, actually trying to sell that artifact is something else quite entirely <laughs> versus the the ability to sell or distribute digital. Um, and so it's a real kind of dilemma and I'm, I'm coming at that from a from a label perspective of wanting to have a physical product mm. but the ability then to make her to even break even on that physical product it's not about making money but even breaking even on that physical product is very hard indeed you know unless Absolutely. you're unless you're getting into a business world that actually consumes you um and that's not for a lot of people or labels or artists you know it's it's a whole other game <laughs> you either play it or you don't play it yeah know? i well yeah i don't know if you're aware of this i used to play in an indie pop band that was quite popular and uh in the early part of last decade and uh yeah that exposure to sort of that business you know that sort of more commercialized sort of part of the business uh and you know we weren't we we're fairly independent but uh you know if i never ever have to email a distributor cd distributor or ever again or talk to a booking agent ever again that i'll be really really happy so <laughs> that's sort of how i conduct myself now uh, Ian, thanks very much for coming in. No worries. And having a chat. It was good to have you finally uh, on the show. And uh, yeah, good luck with this project and of course with, with No Anchor and, and Ambrose Chapel coming up. There'll be no work done today in Sydney. A million of us are on the move, swarming into the streets like bees in the sun. No. Weird. Australia.